no, we, you know, I mean, we, we just, we, the bears are what we thought they were. They're what we thought they were. Say that one more time, play. One more time. One more time. Bear Essentials Podcast is sponsored by Kins Lager Brewery, located in Oak Park, Illinois. They're a local lager-focused brewery. The tap room is currently closed, but you can still order online for local delivery or curbside pickup. The Bear Essentials Podcast listeners will receive a 15% discount on your order by using promo code BEARSPOD. Please visit them at kinslager.com. That's spelled K-I-N-S-L-A-H-G-E-R.com. On episode three of the Bears Essentials podcast, we will discuss our top five favorite bears and much more. Hey, Dub, man. What's the good word with you, brother? Oh, good, man. How you doing, Prez? Man, you know, man, I can't call it. It's uh it's been a it's been a tough week, as, as you know. You know, you and I have had multiple conversations this week. Um, I just want to, man, just first off to start this thing by just saying. I'm just really disappointed in some of the things that have come out this week with Brian Erlacher. The Bears, we as we know, canceled uh, Thursday's practice uh, to protest the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake um, that left him paralyzed. And I don't know how you feel, man, but I mean, just horrific situation right in front of his children. And the things that Brian Erlacher said, and I know you probably have some thoughts on it, which is to me just tone deaf and just came off very ignorant. But what what, what you feel about that situation? Yes, I was, um, first of all, to see, um, you know, Jacob get shot seven times, it's very unfortunate to see anyone get shot by police officers walking into your car or reaching in your car, and that happens in front of your kids. Just tough. Um, The comments that were made by Erlacher were very disappointing. I expected more for a guy like him who's been with our franchise, the Bears franchise, for so long, and I never thought he would feel this way about an African-American who got shot and compared his situation to that of um, another Brett Favre. Brett Favre, yes. Yep. And I thought with him doing that, it was very disappointing, just really heartbreaking at that. And I never expected this from Erlach at all, never. And the thing is, at this point, I have not heard an apology or anything at this point from since he made those comments. So it's very disappointing. Yeah, and then even on top of that, man, he doubled it down by liking a post that was supporting uh, Kyle Rittenhouse the 17-year-old kid that went down there to Kenosha and shot some protesters. So in my opinion, you know, for me, I'm a diehard fan just like you are, but that was very, very shocking to see his viewpoint considering he has a biracial son. And you played here for (laughs) over a dozen seasons with black teammates. You called a lot of these guys your friends and your brothers, and you went to battle with them. And it's really shocking to me that you could have someone that can be around all these individuals but still have those type of viewpoints. Absolutely. And I just never thought of all these years it would be someone like him who would make that kind of a statement. And that's even more disappointing, like you said, playing here for so many years and then see a statement like that, playing with African-Americans, all diverse races he's played with, and diverse backgrounds, and this is the best you can come up with as far as an answer to that shooting. And it's very, very disappointing at all what's been going on. Not just that shooting that's been happening, right? This year, it's been other shootings that's gone on. And this is your take on another shot with the African-American being shot by police. 
by a police officer. So this is the best you can come up with answer-wise in comparison around that. So for him, I hope he takes that back. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he's going to heal any wounds, but right now we're all are very shocked and very disappointed in him. Yeah, no, I agree. The Bears have even distanced themselves from from Erlacher. So that, that should also show you how serious they took those comments as well. And to your point, the thing that I still have trouble with with this whole situation is the fact that he praised Brett Favre for playing with a heavy heart because his father died of natural causes. Uh, right. his, da- his, dad's influ- his dad's death was not basically caused by another individual. And the fact that he said these deaths basically almost kind of blamed the death on Jacob Blake, which we've heard a lot of that going on social media. We don't have to get into those aspects of the situation, but we, you and I both know what that's about. And so we'll just leave it at that. And I would just say one thing on that note, the people have been misinformed when they come down to that situation. So it's like no one really educated themselves around his history, really. So with that, it just makes it all even more disappointing because everyone just took what was put out in the news and just ran with it. They sure did. But at the end of the day, wh- whether someone's past, whatever someone's past is or whatnot, I still find it, you know, just horrible that basically the, the lack of regard for life by right. those individuals that continue to happen is just, it's appalling. And like I said, and I've told you this, those kids will never be able to forget that moment, seeing that, the they, trauma of that. They want it all. And I think it's going to be traumatized to those kids to see that happen to their, to, to their father. It's just going to be tough for them down the road. And I don't think anyone's really, well, I mean, I'm quite sure a lot of people are paying attention to that, but I wonder if that crossed Erlacher's mind that you don't realize what they have caused to those kids. And also his statement as well, what it has caused to that family. So he needs to think about not only just the shooting, but also the impact to that family. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So Brian Erlacher, man, you need to do better. Matt Forte, thank you for coming out and saying your piece. It was very well put together. He had a lot of he had a lot of grace for for his former teammate. And that just goes to show you that he still as a man respects him and will probably welcome a conversation, which they probably even already had. But uh just Brian Erlacher, we need you to do better, man. And just we expect more of you. But man, hey dub, let's get into this thing, man. Let's man, I'm about to call right and crack open this little Black is beautiful from Kislager Brewery. What you sipping on over there, brother? Man, I'm sipping on a Prohibition Pilsner, so I like this kind. I'm going to go ahead and crack mine open as well. I do like that Prohibition Pils, man. That was a nice light one, so yeah, that, that was going to be good. I think I had that one last week, man. Enjoy. Yes, you did. <laughs> I'm <gonna laughs> this one. All right, man. Well, shoot. Well, one thing that I wanted to touch on with you as we, as we get into this episode a little bit is some of the things that came out last week. So obviously the Bears, you know, you know, they had support for Jacob Blake, which was awesome to see. But let's talk about some of the more football aspects of what went on last week. We had a scare that came out of camp with uh, David Montgomery. It blew up all over Twitter. Yes, uh, it did. <laughs> I was scared, man. I was really scared at that point. Yeah, because they said he was carted off the field with a non-contact injury. So when you hear stuff like that, you automatically think, Oh man, is that an Achilles? Is that an ACL? And I remember you, you immediately hit me up and I was like, bro, I was like, I don't know what's going on with this one. Uh, so what do you have the details on, on what exactly went down with McGurber? It looks like he had a groin injury uh, for him falling on the okay. field. And I know there's been a lot of talk about the field in general, about how you know uh, rough it is and how it's not really the best field to play on or to practice on. So you're going to hear more about that at some point down the road where people start talking more about that field. But anyhow, he pretty much had a growing injury. He's going to be out for about four weeks. I thought it would have been longer, between four to six weeks, but seeing it's only going to be about that amount of time he's going to miss, that's still a lot of time in general um, with the season around the corner. So um, 
hopefully he has a, a very good recovery. But I do understand when you have those growing injuries, sometimes those injuries can nag on throughout the season. So we really got to think about that. And when we bring him back, making sure that he's really healthy when he comes back. Yeah, no, I agree, man. And what, when I was looking at that timetable, because I think it was about probably maybe within that two to four week or four to six week time period, you got to think about that. That's going into the season a little bit. And when I see that, A-Dub, I look at that depth chart at running back. And so now you have Tariq Cohen, Ryan Nall, you have Artemis Pierce, and then we also have seen that the Bears have given Cordell Patterson reps at running back. That does not give me a lot of confidence entering this season. No, it doesn't. It doesn't give me the same thing either. You know, I think uh, it makes me wonder now going to this season, it makes me think about who we want to have as our quarterback. <laughs> because, like you said, having those being pretty weak at the backfield is a concern. Because you're right, Ryan Neal, rookie, Artavis Pierce, Harrison, these are not guys who we can say we can go to 15, 20 times to run a football. Those are not the guys. Cohen is not even that guy, right? To say, hey, we're going to rush you 15, 20 times a, a game. So, Looking at that, you're right. Without Montgomery, we're going in and very weak at the backfield, and we're going to really have to scheme our butts off and yep. throw the football. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to scheme our butts off. And one thing, too, we did dodge a bullet because that injury with him could have been a lot worse because uh, I even saw when he went down and he couldn't put pressure on it. I'm like, man, this does not look good. But So we, we dodged a bullet there. Yes, so we what, did. <laughs> and you brought the fact that the risk of re-injury, especially with a growing injury, you know those things can add. Correct. So the one thing that I'll just say here is Tariq Cohen, we all know he's in a three-down back, and we have two practice squad guys in Nall and uh, Pierce. For me personally, and I, we've reached out to some people on our, on our Twitter accounts uh, over the course of the week, and we basically sent out a poll of like, hey, Bears fans, what you think? Do, should we sign a new running back? And the poll results came back that 80% of those fan base for our Twitter followers thought that we should go out and sign a new running back. I thought the same thing because, like I said, the injury, you just don't know. You don't have to know how it's going to play out this year. And you're going to need somebody back in the backfield pretty strong. And with our backfield, with these young guys and those who are not quite ready to take on that load, you're going to need somebody who's already done it before and got some experience. And I think we don't have enough of that on our team right now. So I do agree with the fans that we should be seeking another running back outside of our organization. Yeah, I mean, and even if it's just somebody that you're bringing in for camp leg purposes, we need to get somebody in there. And uh, a couple of the names that I saw pop up were Spencer Ware and also CJ Procise. Did you have any thoughts on any potential people as well? Yeah, I, I heard about Lynch. I think Lynch wasn't signed quite yet with um, the Seattle Seahawks. I heard his mm-hmm. name come up. But I did like the weird about him coming up where, because he played with Kansas City. That's and right. He hasn't had a lot of time with Kansas City. He has some injuries, of course, and, and his history. So I thought with him, even with his experience, would be good enough to be on our team for a few weeks to help us out until Montgomery gets fully you know, uh, healthy. So just the fact that we didn't consider him or either uh, Lynch, either of those guys, or someone else makes me wonder, like, wow, you know, we're really just focusing really heavily on Montgomery. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say this, and you probably feel the same way. I think that our expectations of Montgomery are still high despite this injury. Uh, Correct. The thing that just really bothers me is this was the position where we could at least afford an injury like this. <laughs> right, just... right. It's like, yeah, you hate that. That's what, that's what you hate in, in sports, right? That it hits one of your key central positions. And I think this is a position that we need somebody really strong in. And knowing that his gifts are not going to be there, when I mean gifts, I mean Montgomery, his ability to run hard, his ability to break tackles, 
Uh, the fact that he slammed down, he was looking good. Actually, he was looking very good coming yeah. to this year. Yeah, he laid down. He laid down. He left them donuts and candy alone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he left those alone for sure. He got his health right and um, slammed down and ready to go. But now this little setback does hurt because, like I said, you just don't know when it comes down to health. No, you don't know. The one thing I wanted to give a quick uh, shout-out to one of our Twitter followers, uh, Mitchell Galloway. He uh, reached out to us, and he had a really good idea that I wanted to run by you, A-Dub. So he suggested that we follow the Patriots model and start Cordell Patterson at running back if Montgomery misses games going forward. And then he said that we should put Ryan Nall as the primary backup and use Tariq Cohen as a change of pace back. What do you think about that idea? Wow, that's a very good idea. <laughs> um, I think what I have not seen from Patterson is – how much can he take, right? How much of the running game can he sustain? And maybe for a couple of games or two, it may work out well. So I, I like that idea uh, for having him that in that area. Of course, I, I don't want to change Cohen's uh, role. I like the role that Cohen is in. So I think keeping him at the same role fits well. And I think Nall could be potential backup in case um, anything happens to Patterson. But we'll have to see, right, how it goes. But I do like that idea. Very good idea. Yeah, I, I actually liked it, too. And even I, when we were engaging with him a little bit, I said, you know what? Uh, Patterson, if you put him in the I formation, I think that he could be dangerous, especially in space. Get that ball, to, get the ball to him on the, on the edge of the defense. And if he gets to that second level of the defense, he can get away from most linebackers and safety. So I do like I that he, idea. Yeah, I like that idea. But I think also with that, is uh, with Patterson, I think he's very good with, in schemes, too. So I think if we are to put him back there, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of schemes that Nagy runs. Because I think with him, I want to make sure we use the burst of his speed, right? The catch him on the go where he can just can run hard, right, and burst out there, out the, out the backfield. So I want to make sure we don't change that style of his, his game. So I want to make sure we keep that same right. energy with him. But right. I think, yeah, 15, 20 carries. 15 carries would probably be very good for Patterson. I think that will probably be very good for him based upon our style and our schemes because other people are going to get a chance at the backfield part of it in Nagy's scheme. So yeah. I think with that, and if he was to start Nick Foles or whoever, or True, is how we attack the defense utilizing that style in our running game. Yeah, and, and then you brought up a magic number there because I think if the Bears run the ball 25 times this season, I think that's a good formula for success uh, because what you're doing there is you're taking pressure off that quarterback whichever way they decide to go. We need to run that ball, you know, and, and Montgomery was going to be really key for us because, as you mentioned earlier, that versatility and that skill set, uh, having that ability to be shifty, uh, to break tackles, to catch the ball in space. So my thing is, is that uh, Cordell Patterson potentially going into the mix will probably give us some of that dynamic ability back there until Montgomery is able to return. So, yeah, Mitchell, I thought that was a really good idea. Man, keep them coming, brother. Yes, sir. So, hey, Doug, man, from based on the week, did you have any people that you looked at and saw any uh, camp standout information on for the week? I'm going to start here. I'm going to go with the kicker, right? I know uh, Panero's been injured, still nursing a groin injury. I'm going to start there. And I don't really talk much about kickers, but I'm going to say Cairo Santos, if I'm saying his name correctly, had a pretty good day. Um, I believe it was on Saturday where he made all his field goals. Um, extra point attempts, everything was pretty much had a pretty good day. And they were a soldier field, so that was key. Very good standout with him. So what are your thoughts on him? Uh, well, he was here before under the John Fox uh, era. Uh, he, he missed he missed some major kicks <laughs> when he was with us. But I will say this, um, and, and I do want to get into this kicking position a little bit, A-Dub, with you, because I'm really uh, – I'm almost kind of worried about this position a little bit because I feel like Eddie Pinero, who I really like, 
he yeah. gets a lot of these nagging injuries, right? So they're saying that he has a growing injury at this point in time. Correct. And, so that's, and that's why they signed Santos. And we saw last year in the middle of the season where Pinero was nursing some sort of a knee injury, right? And it affected him being he couldn't kick off. He wasn't able to kick longer field goals. So my thing is, what's really going on with this situation with Eddie? And can he stay healthy? Yeah, and that's why we need a backup plan, right? When we have someone that's been injured and um, having some injuries, we need to have a backup plan around that. Now, I'm hoping that he and Cairo can split the job in a way. So I'm hoping that still we want to keep Cairo fresh. We don't want to lose that kind of fact that he's got some good rhythm going on because Eddie Pinero has been, again, the injury, right? And you just don't know with these injuries how long it's going to play out. So right. having a backup with Santos, I think it's going to be pretty good for us, especially if Santos is starting to show some signs of feeling well and looking good out there. It's going to propose another issue for us, a dilemma. Because Yeah, because you're only going to keep one. So my thing is, it seems like Santos is probably here to be a camp leg to help uh, Eddie preserve himself and go into the season uh, healthy. However, as you mentioned earlier, these nagging injuries, they could come back and it could be a problem all season for him. So that's just something that I want our listeners and fans of the Bears to just be on the lookout just with, with his health long term because there's something going on there. Absolutely. I had uh, Darnell Mooney. You talked about him last week, and you've been yes, very high. you've been very high on him. That's my guy, man. Yep. And the thing about it is that I heard he had another solid week of practice, and it's been so well that not only Mitch but also Foles have mostly talked to the media and said, like, this guy is ahead of the curve. And it sounds like he's really come in and worked his ass off, and he's almost putting uh, Wibbs and Ridley on on the. Uh, on notice that he's here. <laughs> yes, he is. And the one thing that we talked about last time was around him picking up on the offense. He's still doing that. And the thing is that I've also been hearing is about them expanding his role, well, at least have, helping him understand his role and what it's going to look like for him coming up in the season, where he's going to be, what he's going to do, all those different things, his assignments. And the other thing I want to bring up is that there have been talks about his role being similar to Johnny Knox. Remember Johnny Knox when I was right, a speed guy, can get over the top, at the speed and you can go long way, right? The big playmaker. Yes, sir. Trying to do the same thing with Darnell Mooney. So just watch out for that. You, you may see some big hits, some big plays from this guy. Not saying it's going to be early in the season. Could be somewhere in the middle of the season. But again, they're trying to get him more involved in that. And you know what? Johnny Knox is a heck of a name to bring up just because Bears fans. I mean, Johnny Knox was electric. And that injury that he had was probably one of the most gruesome injuries I've ever seen someone have. But Johnny Knox that dude has so much speed and uh, so much potential. <laughs> Such Absolutely. a great call. <laughs> I love the speed for sure, no doubt. The big plays. Yep. And so if if, if uh, Moody can come in here and be half of what Johnny Knox was able to do for that offense, that just makes us even more dynamic when you look at A-Rob and, and Anthony Miller, you know, out there as well. So, no, Moody, that, that was a good call out last week from you, A-Dub, and I'm hearing even more good things from his, him as well. Did you have any anybody that, that you know – Anybody else that you wanted to, to point out as far as standouts? Yeah, I want to point out one person here. And this guy you probably expected me to talk about anyhow, like, well, yeah, not surprising, is uh, Robert Quinn. Remember, we haven't talked much about him on the nope. last episode, but I think um, the fact that he's finally got some chances out there in practice on Saturday, he showed some flashes of promise. Showed his pass rush ability, uh, his movement, his timing. And I think um, he feels like he's not where he wants to be yet, but I think others who watched him was like, wow, this guy here, He's the one. He's the one. So we're happy to have him out there, happy to have him on the team. And um, I think he's going to be dynamic for us, man. I really do. 
Well, you know, on our first episode, I mentioned that I thought he was going to be the key for Khalil Mack, you know, coming back and rebounding out for a tough 2019 season. I love the fact that you brought up Robert Quinn's name because I've heard a lot of reports coming out of training camp how the team was bringing him along slowly. Right. And it kind of felt like the media was kind of wondering if he was hurt or if there was something going on, right? Um, right. So he- hearing that report from you saying that, yeah, he was at that scrimmage yesterday and he really showed up, that gives me even more pumped up because, man, I'm telling Khalil Mack, and Hakeem Hicks, they need a guy like that that can make plays in that on that outside linebacker defensive end spot over there. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, tandem uh, play together because I think uh, those three together can create some good uh, – some, put some pressure on the quarterback. And I think, you know, uh, our first week, they're going to have some problems. The, defense, the offensive team we're going against is going to have some problems against our guys. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um the only other person I wanted to bring out, and this is just more of just uh, observation that I just made just from, you know, seeing some film that came out uh, over the last couple of weeks. James Daniels looked like he bulked up and the media's talked about it, but you can noticeably tell that this guy put on some weight over the offseason. And he's on his second year. You know, he came out of Iowa, had a lot of hype last season. You know, he had a, a decent season, but I'm expecting for him to really break out this year. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. You know, um, just to see him get out there, change his body up a little bit. Um, as well, um, getting himself working on things that he had to um, correct. And now seeing him now, I think he's going to help us out too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we, you know, get into the, the nuts and bolts, man, let's talk about some of these position battles that are going on here with the, with the Bears. First one I want to chat with you about is the position battle at right guard. Is it safe to say that Fetty has gotten this position locked up? You know, from what I've been hearing, I think it's pretty much a safe pick here with him there. because. Um, so far, I haven't heard anything negative. Once we haven't heard anything negative, they're all positive about what he's been doing. And so far, he's been the lead candidate for that role. He's pretty much shown a lot of ability at that guard spot that the coaching staff has really thought highly of him around that. And so far, there's been no setbacks. He's been right on target, and he looks to be the one who's going to take on that job. And, you know, one of the things that you called out in our first episode is you were high on Juan Castillo. And I'm hearing nothing but really positive things from the players of, of how they're responding to his coaching techniques. And a lot of these guys are really speaking to the fact that they really love his teaching and, and the, the way that he goes about coaching those guys up. So, I mean, that was a good call out by you. And I think that a guy like that coming in here, hopefully he can get the best out of some of these guys. I mean, because you have on paper, you have some talented guys on that offensive line. They just need to put it together. Right, exactly. And this is what, if Eddie has a lot to prove, he's going to show that, hey, I'm not a bust. I'm that guy. And I think with the Bears, give him that chance, I feel pretty good about that. And I'm glad he's going to get the opportunity with us. The next position I want to chat with you about is at cornerback. We have our brother Jalen Johnson, and he's been going up against uh, Kevin Tolliver. And I think Buster Screen has even moved over to the outside uh, from the slot. What you thinking about that position? What I'm thinking about that position there is that it's still a battle. I think all guys are going to get a shot at that position there. Um, I think uh, with that we just still try to still try to work these guys out, right? I still haven't given our rookie a chance to really play yet. He's going to get a shot, of course, when the season kicks off. He's going to get a chance. But I think uh, right now, we just kind of go with some of the veterans, right? We're going to go with the veteran crew, let the veterans go ahead and play first. And I think we're going to pretty much bring our rookie alone. So I think, you know, our rookie's done a great job uh, when we drafted him. done a lot of learning. He's still picking up things. still still learning the, the, the game on the NFL level. But I think because of his athletic ability, his um, – Ability to um, shape the speed. I would say the speed part, right? His speed, his uh, the ways he's able to read defenses is going to help him out too. 
Yeah, and also, too, I mean, he's a playmaker. I mean, he showed that at college. Uh, so I'm really excited to see him once he finally probably takes over at that position. I think right now it's probably, as you mentioned, it'll probably the first uh, shot at this is probably going to go to Tolliver. Um, Correct. And I think it'll be a mix of him and screen uh, kind of bouncing back and forth from outside and inside um, there in the slot and outside. But Jalen Johnson, I think when it's all said and done, will probably get that position locked down. It's just tough with rookies uh, getting these positions with no preseason games and not getting a lot of reps. And obviously, yeah. we mentioned on the last episode how he was being brought to, uh, brought along very slowly. Right, exactly. And I think you said that Jalen Johnson, he's going to get the job. He's going to get it. Eventually, the job this year is – so we're just looking forward to seeing him take on that role. But I think with Artis Burns being injured, Courts, Prince, Kamara gone, right now with the team, you know, that, that position now is pretty much open, wide open. And I'm kind of glad we drafted Jalen Johnson because we saw a lot of him when we picked him up. So that role is his. It's really going to be his down the road. Uh, so to keep that seat warm, it's going to be his. Exactly. Uh, another position battle I wanted to talk about with you is at safety. Uh, we have Gibson versus Bush. You heard anything coming out of uh, camp uh, last week with uh, with that position? Now, with that position, still, it's, that's still up for grabs, I'll tell you right now. Gibson still seems to be the leader of that role. Still like he's going to be the one that's going to get it. But Bush is coming along. So you're going to see again, both of them are going to play. They're both going to play. They're both going to get some time back there. And it's just all about a matter of time, really, before Bush eventually uh, shows that he's really ready to take on it. Right now, it's been neck and neck, 50-50 grab. Most likely, they're going to go with um, Gibson to take on that role. I kind of feel the same. Just from some of the the highlights and some of the clips that I've seen coming out of camp, I think Gibson probably will get the nod, but I will tell you this. It's a lot closer, as we mentioned in the past episode. Bush is making this thing tough for the for the coaching staff. <laughs> so this Absolutely. was not going to be cut and dry. <laughs> he's not going to write. He's not going to bow down. And the thing is, like I said before, he's not going to give it away. Gibson is going to have to earn it. And I think this is probably Gibson's last shot at earning a starting role. So he's going to probably enjoy this moment here as opportunity but guess what bush is right there that is right before we go into discussing the quarterback competition because we got a lot to unpack there i wanted to get your thoughts on some of the injuries that we've seen coming out of camp so outside of uh montgomery we also see that alan robinson has set out of practice with an ankle and we also see hakeem hicks is uh taking some time with the quad any of these things concern you um, I think it's more precautious when it comes down to Allen Robinson, so I'm not really uh, overly concerned right there. So I do want to make sure he gets his proper rest, make sure he's fully healthy when the season starts. So I think the Bears are being more cautious with their um, with their number one weapon on the, on the outside, with the wide receiver core. So I think they're doing the right thing by taking it pretty simple with him, take it easy, not make him do too much, and we're going to just pretty much put him out there on that field when the, when the season kicks off. But I think we're going about it the right way. I'm not concerned. Yeah, I would say I agree with you there. I mean, these are guys that you both know what they're going to be able to do. And let's just be honest, Hakeem Hicks, uh, let's just focus on him for a second. He's yeah. a veteran player. He hates training camp. So I think for him, <laughs> anytime, right. that he can get, right. <laughs> anytime he doesn't have to be out there, I'm sure he's okay with it. You know, he'll be fine when the season comes around. <laughs> I think so, too. I'm not worried about Hicks. I think he's pretty much um, gotten himself together. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty much healthy this year. I know last year was tough for him. I'm not – as worried about Hicks this year as I was last year. Yeah, I mean, last year was a tough season for him, man. He battled through a lot of injuries, uh, but it really showed you how his absence really affected that defense, though, you know? It really did. And our defense, like I said, uh, we went from being pretty much n number one, number two, and, and dropping down to somewhere around five or six, ranking around that area. But I think 
part of it is because we didn't have him as one of our pass rushers. So oh. I think when he comes back healthy, fully healthy, along with Quinn and and um, with Mac, they're going to be lethal together. Oh my <laughs> you know, god! Is, my my thought process to come out to these three guys together is insane. I think these guys really going to make a huge difference on the field together. Everyone can play that natural role. What to worry about everyone loading up on Mac or even Quinn? I think with Hicks, it's like, hey, you got to worry about him. He's a threat. Yeah, I see 30 sacks combined between those two guys this season, between uh, Khalil Mack and, and Robert Quinn. I mean, I really see uh, basically those two guys as really having awesome seasons for us. And with that being said, too, you think about that pass rush, well, if that gets back to that level that we saw from the 2018 season, you're going to see Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson and those guys in that secondary making all kinds of plays. Absolutely, absolutely. I saw something on um, Hicks a little while ago, maybe about a month or so ago, with him working out, lifting weights and things of nature. He looked good, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hicks looked good. So I'm looking forward to seeing him out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, man, let's get into what I'm sure our listeners uh, definitely want us to tackle and delve into. Let's talk about this quarterback position, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, sir. We I'm taking another sip of my beer. So we got two weeks in on this thing, and we still have no clear-cut winner or leader in this competition. I'm hearing that Foles probably might have the slight edge. What are you hearing? I'm hearing the same thing. It seems like it went from Trubisky having a slight edge to now Foles having a slight edge. On Saturday's practice, this came out of it where Trubisky threw two interceptions and practiced the fuller. And one of them was stiff. The other one uh, was more of a bad read by, um, by Trubisky that led to an interception. So that plays a role, right? Everything yep. he does in practice for all of them plays a role. It's like they're going back and forth. And you can't – I think what I've been hearing from Trubisky and also folds about how this practice looked for both of them, it's been a little bit different because you can't really catch a great rhythm. It's like once you get a rhythm, you're, you're coming out, the next quarterback is in. So with that, you can't keep that same momentum going. It's been pretty tough for them to do that. But from what I'm hearing, it looks like Foles has been the leader, the slight edge so far. And again, neither one of them has been that outstanding throughout this entire um, training camp. But it seems like now Foles are starting to pick it up a little bit more than Trubisky. Well, let's just uh, be honest here. I mean, Foles knows this offense. And one of the knocks against Trubisky is the fact that he didn't really have a grasp of it and also that ability to read defense. So you mentioned right there in your comment how he had a misread there on one of those picks that he threw in practice. The thing that I'm hearing about Foles that's coming out of practice is the fact that he's making smart decisions with the football, you know. And so that's what it's going to come down to, I think, when Nagy makes that decision, which he, for the record, uh, listeners, he's not making any announcement about who the starter is going to be before week one. So it's going to be – a surprise to all of us, including the Lions. Yeah, Lions got a rude awakening coming their way. They had worry about the quarterback situation. They got to worry about our defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got their hands full. Also, the Lions have their hands full. It's hard for them to game plan. But the yeah. other thing I want to say about um, Nick Foles is they're saying he's getting more in rhythm in regards to his clean footwork, timing, getting his eyes where they belong. So it's also small mechanical things he's have actually worked on and fixed. So he's starting to warm up. Nick Foles starting to warm up. That should be good for us. If I were to have my personal opinion who I think should start this season based upon how things look right now and the fact that our backfield not being as strong as it has been with Montgomery back there, I think I probably would go with Nick Foles this first week. <laughs> wow. 
I'm going to tell you this, uh, A-Dub. I need another week before I can give you my thoughts on that one. I'm still on the fence, man. Uh, the, the one thing you, you brought up, you brought up a really good point that I want our listeners to think about for a second. So you brought up the fact that these quarterbacks are basically jumping in and out of, and getting reps, right? So right. Nagy's putting them through a lot of situational football. So with that being said, it's hard to get a rhythm, right? So as you mentioned, playing that quarterback position, you need to be in there. You need to be getting those reps because every rep is very important, right? Right. When you look at a situation with these two guys getting taken out and they're splitting everything down the middle, I'm sure that that's very difficult for both of these guys to get any sort of rhythm. So my thing is we've heard, you know, kind of mixed results that Mitch will have a good day here and then he'll have a bad day and this and that. But it's really hard to evaluate these guys based on the type of splitting of reps with no preseason games. I don't want to be in this situation with Nagy and that coaching staff because that whatever decision they make, they're going to have to live with that one. Don't rule this out. Don't do not rule this part out. Don't be surprised if both quarterbacks play in the game. Like this week could be Trubisky week. Next week could be Foles week, right? It's like don't be surprised if you see something like that happening with these quarterbacks alternating because right. they're still trying to figure out who's going to be the starting quarterback. Or if they already figured it out already, they're not saying anything to week one until yeah. we have to take the field. So I'm gonna tell you this. I'm going to tell you this, A-Dub, if he does any of that switching quarterback in and out shit, I'm telling you, I'm going to be so pissed off. I do not <laughs> want to see that. I want us to have one guy back there, give him the keys, and let's roll. <laughs> Check this out. I'm going to throw this out there to you. Remember we had uh, your boy, right, uh, Cal Orton, yep. and uh, the other uh, quarterback we had, they were battling against each other. you talk talking uh, about Rex. Rex Roseman, yes, Rex Roseman. Remember when they were going back and forth, you see Cal Orton out there, this week, couple weeks, things don't go well with him. Bring out yep. Rick Grossman, see how things go with him. Yep. Out with him. I wouldn't be shocked if we're back to a situation like that again. Oh, my God. If we're back to a situation like that, bro, that's going to be another wasted season for us, man. But you know what? I will say this. I'm not going to discount that because you know what? We've seen what's happened at this quarterback position in Chicago. So anything is possible this season. Anything is possible. But you know what? One thing I will say, I am still hopeful for a good season here because – I think whoever gets this job here with a retool offensive line, our backfield Montgomery once he's healthy, I think we're going to be pretty good along with our defense. So I'm pretty much still high on this team coming into this year. Yeah, man, and I'm still on the the team Mitch boat here. I think Mitch just his playmaking ability and how he can basically, if a play breaks down, he can run and get first downs. Uh, while Nick Foles is probably going to be the better decision maker, he's going to be the better game manager. I think Mitch has a little bit more dynamic aspects of his game that I think can take us to the next level if he's playing all cylinders. But the thing about it is, with, with Mitch and all you listeners, and even you noticed, A-Dub, when Mitch is playing at a high level, it's awesome. But when Mitch is struggling, it is painful to watch as a Bear fan. Right. The thing is, I want to also throw one thing out here really quickly, just very quickly. I know we've been talking about the quarterback, but I'm going to go on another route with you really quickly. Of two people we have not talked much about, and that's Denny Trevathan and Rokan Smith. We have not talked about those two, but I did want to throw out that, that these two guys have been doing some improvement. They've been getting themselves ready for the season. They've been working pretty hard, and these guys look to be ready. Just want to throw a little kudos out to those two guys because I think they're going to help our defensive line out with Quinn, Mack, and um, also Hicks. So just watch out for those two guys. Keep them on your radar. Well, one thing that I was going to say, with Danny T, you know what you're going to get from that guy. He, to me, is like, along with Hakeem Hicks, those guys are the heart and soul of that defense. 
Um, those guys are the leaders on that defense. Danny Trevathan is just – I love his energy, his passion for the game, and Danny Trevathan will light you up. I love the way he plays. When I look at a Roquan Smith, this is a kid that has all the talent and potential in the world. We just need to see him put it all together. And so I have heard some good right. things coming out of camp about him and saying that he's showing some of that elite level athleticism that he has. We just need him to stay to keep it all focused and together for a 16 game season. Absolutely. So, and I think yeah. this is a this is the come that's a bounce back year for all of them. So I think this is gonna be the year that we're gonna see a little bit more from him and, and many others too on this team. So just watch out for him. I, I don't want us to figure good about him. Let's watch out for him. Last thing I was going to mention on the uh, quarterback competition before we get into our uh, our best uh, uh, Bears breakdown here uh, is the fact that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday practices of this upcoming week are going to probably be some of the last live type of uh, situations that the team will be going through. And so yeah. that's going to basically give Nagy pretty much three practices to kind of figure out which way he's going with this thing. This is what I call that week, a critical week. Time is running out, fellas. Tick tock. Somebody come and get this job, man. It's out there. For real. <laughs> and, <laughs> and no one, exactly. And neither has really excelled the other that far to say, hey, this is a, this is my job for sure. It's still in the air. Yeah, it's definitely still in the air. Well, man, hey, Doug, let's get into this episode, man. I'm really excited to do this one with you, man. We're going to do our top five, our favorite bears uh, in our lifetime. So this is going to be post 84. Uh, for our listeners as you're listening to this. But, A-Dub, I'm going to kick this over to you, man. Who would you have at your, your number five spot for your all-time favorite bear? My top five, I'll go number five right here. My number five, I went with Peanut Tillman. Peanut. Got to give Peanut some love here. Drafted by the Bears in the second round of 2003, University of Louisiana. He's a two-time Pro Bowler with, uh, with us. Um, I think he had, what, 38 interceptions. Nine defensive TDs. 36 interceptions came with the Bears, though. That's what he got with us. He forced 44 fumbles and uh, recovered nine of them. And the thing about Peanut is that people don't give him a lot of credit, though. Peanut did never have – he never had the talent that a lot of these other great cornerbacks had, like Deion Sanders, right? They got a lot of talent. He never had that. But one thing I can say, I, I put him in the category with Jimmy Butler of the Chicago Bulls. This guy is a tough, hard-nosed player. He's not going to give you anything. He's going to play hard. And one thing I give Peanuts credit for, he may get beat sometimes, but one thing I can say about him, guess what? He's going to continue to play hard, and he's going to try to force a fumble out of these great wide receivers. And I've seen him do it. Yes, so it's sir. Like, with him, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've been a fan of Peanuts sitting around that because he's shown me the, shown the ability to be able to go against these big guys. He may get beat, may give him some yards, but guess what? You better still be careful because he can either intercept you or force a fumble. Punch it out, and we see him. Oh, yeah, punch that, that, that peanut punch. <laughs> yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, my guy. I know he's a two-time pro bowler. I wish he got more of those. But he has shown us that, hey, he can be in that role. He's done some good job going against Megatron, those guys. And um, for Detroit, I know Megatron was a big wide receiver, strong one at that. And I'll tell you, Peanut did not back down for some of those guys. He made it rough for him, made it hard. And when he got a chance to really, you know, um, get those interceptions or strip balls, he was on it. And those are game-changers type uh, moves that he's done. Yeah, uh, I would. I love that pick there. Uh, Peanut, to me, uh, is definitely a, a great call-out. Uh, when I think of Peanut, man, I think of a guy, like you said, not the most athletic guy, but however, he was, a, a, he was the personification of a Chicago guy because this guy was tough, relentless. He may get beat on one play, but he remembered that, came back the next play, and like you said, he made – 
things happen for that defense. That peanut punch is synonymous. If you see guys in the league now, they're all trying to punch the ball out. No one was doing that until uh, Charles Tillman came around. Absolutely. So he made a difference, man. He lasted a nice while with us too, man. I, I like Peanut Tillman, and um, he had a good career with us. And um, you never know, he may be the one on our list of being um, Jersey retired and all that stuff. You know, uh, I know people been talking about him, borderline Hall of Fame. We'll see what comes out of it. But I know in our camp in Chicago, in area, we appreciate him. Yes, sir. Uh, my number five spot, I have Mike Brown. Safety. Ah, Mike Brown. Okay, okay. Yes, sir. Man, to me, when I think of that defense back in that time and era, I thought that Mike Brown was the heart and soul of that team. And I remember his rant when he – like, it was like when he was kind of early in his career. And he told the media, he's like, it's like we suck, right? And it was almost like in his way, he was saying that we go out of our ways to lose these games. And he showed a lot of leadership as a young player. And I just really loved his approach to the game. He was a smart player, tough as hell. The thing with him, though, was the injuries. That was the thing that kind yeah. of did that, – that's the thing that did him in. I remember him playing some strong defense, man, for us with those hits. Yeah, he was he was tenacious like that. I will say this, though, uh, A-Dub. My fond memories of him is just basically, as you mentioned, the hard hitting. But he was a tough competitor, bro. His first horse season in the league – he started 63 out of 64 games. So he showed early on in his career that he was able to, you know, stay healthy. What happened is after that, though, is he basically had three back-to-back seasons where he had various injuries ranging from like an Achilles injury to a mm-hmm. calf injury. I mean, it was just things that were just really unfortunate. But my favorite memory of Mike Brown is going to be those back-to-back OT wins the Bears had when he had those pick sixes to win the game. The first was against the 49ers, and then the next week was against the Cleveland Browns. Those were some of my favorite, favorite moments. He's so to me, I thought uh, he was one of the best defenders that we had um, on our team and just very right. phys- physically opposing. He had 20 picks over his career, but seven touchdowns. And you think about that short wow. amount of time that he played on the, on, the, on the field and he had that type of production. So that was my yeah. number five. I think one time they were talking about him being defensive player of the year at one time. There was some, there was some uh, talks about him being a defensive player of the year. It was a Pro Bowl, I believe, that year, too. But it was a lot of talk about him being um, defensive player of the year. And I don't think he won it that year, but we were all disappointed that it didn't happen. Yeah, he was definitely. I mean, that was that season where it just seemed like he was making every play that needed to be made out there in the field. And he, I'm telling you, we missed him that season when we went to the Super Bowl because he was hurt that season. And we had Chris right. Harris, you know, playing in safety. And no disrespect to you, Chris Harris, but I think if uh, Mike Brown would have been in that game, then I don't think Reggie Wayne would have gotten that touchdown. That's, that's just my opinion. I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> Who'd you have at number four, man? Who I had at number four, I will say none other. The guy who I like, I really enjoyed him. His time here, he was exciting to watch, is Devin Hester. Drafted by Chicago Bears in the second round of the 2006 NFL draft. He was awesome for us, man. When this guy got a punt return or got a put the ball kicked to him for punt return or kickoff return, you knew he was going to make something happen with that. It got to a point where he was so great at that job that people stopped kicking to him. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. They stopped going to him, man. He's a four-time pro bowler. He was awesome. I mean, 20 total return touchdowns. I mean, this guy was awesome for us, man. He was a game changer. As a matter of fact, the one I remember the most is that it still, to me, awes me today when I see it happen is um, – you remember that time frame in the Super Bowl, right? The first play. Yeah, the open the kickoff. Yes, sir. Kickoff. I always talk about it. Yeah, I always talk about Man, it. Man, dude. <laughs> got that. I was like, wow. It shocked me. You know, the whole building's like, 
whoa, this guy. And the thing is, he did it so fast. It happened so quickly. Dude, I'm telling you, we had just sat in our seats because I told you I was at the game. We had just literally sat in our seats. The light bulbs start flashing, and he did what he did. And I'm telling you, bro, I have never in my life as a fan been that excited for anything in sports. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing. It was just an amazing moment. And to your point, didn't Dungy lead it up to that week basically say how they weren't going to kick the ball to Devin Hester? <laughs> that was the talk. That was the talk, man. <laughs> boy, but they slipped up. They slipped up big time, and they paid for it. And guess what? <laughs> they didn't kick it too many more the rest of that game. That was it. No. He had his hands again. That was it. <laughs> but one thing I want to add to this, though. You remember um, it was a game I believe played against the Cardinals. I'm not sure if you remember this game here. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. That part return? Yes, that punt return that ended up, you know, I think it was a punt return that ended up being the, um, maybe the game winner for the Bears to beat yep. the Cardinals. I think Peanut Tillman and those guys had done some defensive um, jobs that caused some fumbles for that team. Yep. We were down 23-3. We yes. made a comeback. Yep. But with that return from Hester, that was it. That, that, that was it. That point return. And you know what they ended up doing, what that caused? That caused a famous rant by Dennis Green. Which is, our, which, is, they were. <laughs> which is on our which is on our open, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that caused the rent, man. That was what caused the rent right there. And Hester was a big part of that because that 83 yard punt return was like, wow, that was yep. a killer. Yeah, all the momentum. And um they had that foot was our next for a while. We were down 23 to 3. We made a big comeback. And Dennis Green was livid. He was oh. upset. Well, A-Dub, you would have been, too, if you just saw your team squander a 20-point lead like that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm never going to forget that, man. I'm never going to forget that. That's awesome. Man, that's a good one, bro. Uh, and my number four, I had uh, Charles Peanut Tillman. Okay. Uh, Go for it. So I'll tell you this. You, you brought up a lot of the good points here, so I'm just going to kind of take it a different route here. So for me, I look at Peanut Tillman as one of the better Jerry Angelo picks that he made in his, his time there. Uh, Second-round pick. He became a starter after three games and never let go of that position. So he was a full-time quarter at that moment. The thing that I loved about Peanut and why I thought that this draft pick was so good for us is that he had that size as a quarter. And so you remember that time in the NFC, as you mentioned one of the names, you had Calvin Johnson, uh, you know, Megatron. But then you also had Randy Moss. You had all of these tall receivers that back in that era, they would just throw those fade routes up and just let those guys go get it. And we didn't have that size at quarterback um, on our teams back then to circumvent those type of receivers. So when we drafted P- Peanut, I was really happy to have a guy out there that, you know, could go up and compete, could muscle with those guys. Because as you mentioned, Peanut has some epic battles with Megatron. Now, Megatron would get his. Don't get me wrong. But Peanut held his own against Megatron. I agree. I agree. Held his and, own, man. And I was yeah. proud of him to see him do that, though. But, you know. You win some battles, you lose some, right? But Peanut yep. held his own. Man. He held his own. Yep. My favorite moment when it comes to Peanut uh, was in the, the Week 15 game in his rookie season. You probably remember this, A-Dub, when he played up head up against Randy Moss. And, oh, everybody, yeah. and everybody remembers that season for Andy, Randy Moss was epic. He had like 17 touchdowns, 1,600 yards. Randy Moss was just – he was destroying people out there. And I remember in this game, Dante Culpepper threw like a fade route over uh, to, you know, to Moss. Mm-hmm. He, he went up with Moss and basically was able to – he, he recognized the route, and he was able to rip the ball away from Moss. We win the game. As a Bear fan, I was like, damn, dude. Like, if that would have been any other quarter in that situation, Moss would have had six. Right. 
that's that toughness right there I'm talking about. Yep. He didn't, he didn't quit. He knew you were strong with him. You, I mean, he knew you were bigger than him. Knew you had more at times than him, but he didn't care about that. He didn't care. No, he did not care. And to your point that you made when you talked about him, he didn't get the recognition that I thought that he deserved. The, even though he was voted for two Pro Bowls, it was right. because he didn't put up like those crazy quarterback numbers, but that dude would force that ball out of there. I mean, he had, like you said, 44 forced fumbles, which is the most in franchise history. Peanut Tillman, man, that's my guy. Absolutely. And one thing we throw out there that you may remember with Peanut Tillman, though, was um, November 4, 2012, where he forced four fumbles against the Titans. Yes, I sir. That's a record. That is a record. It's, yep, it's the record. And so when I look at that with Peanut, that just goes to show you, man, he was a game changer because he basically created a way to cause havoc. And those Lovey uh, Smith uh, Tampa 2 defenses back then, they predicated or created turnovers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, who'd you have in your uh, your number three spot? My number three spot, you may know this guy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you have no choice but to know who he is. Julius Peppers. Oh, Pep. We got Peppers, man. That changed our whole identity defensively at that time frame, right? Reminds you of somebody else on our team <laughs> currently. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to more of him later, but Julius Peppers, man, when he came to us, man, I was like, wow, we got this guy from Carolina Panthers. He was their guy. And now we're bringing him to Chicago. I mean, he got with us. He was, what, a three-time pro bowler with us? He had to become a three-time pro bowler with us. We kind of yep. got him in his prime years. Here we and did. with that, we got him, man. Our defense ran, ran from, what, almost to, what, top five after that. Once we got him, we're pretty much somewhere down in the 20s. And then we get him, we up to be in a top five type of uh, defensive team with him added to our team that year. Oh, dude, he was a, mo- he was a monster, man. He was a monster. My yes, God. he was. <laughs> Four years with us, man. He racked up 175 solo tackles. Um, he was just awesome for us, man. And, um, you know, of course, we started seeing some growth a little bit, seeing him grow a little bit where he started to um, show his age. But that comes with time, right? You've out there a long time. Your age started to show a little bit. Uh, as you get down close in your 30s, somewhere around, you know, um, 33, 34, you start to see a little bit. But we got him when he was like 30 years old. Man, he was a monster. And uh, like I said, they couldn't hold Julius Peppers. You need to have at least two, three guys trying to stop him. I remember one game against Green Bay. They, they had no answer for him. He was just going in there, man, just going after those guys. And I was like, wow, Julius Peppers, you talk about game teams in, in, in uh, Bears history, he is one of those guys that did that. And uh, like I tell you, one thing about the Bears organization, we have been great at getting great defensive guys. Yeah. I say, you know what? who can be very much impactful. When you look at our history, you'll see the same thing. But Julius Pepper is one of those guys, uh, one of those old-school kind of players. You're like, whoa, this dude cannot be held by one guy. You need multiple guys to stop him. The one thing that I wanted to mention when it comes to Peppers, uh, you remember when the Bears signed him to that mega deal, a right. lot of the media bases were saying about Peppers is the fact that he took plays off and that he kind of loafed. I didn't see that when he came to the Bears. I saw a guy that had a motor, and I saw that he was making plays. And he actually, man, he made that defense go, as you mentioned. I mean, we we, we basically went from a middle-of-the-road defense to a top-five defense in his time uh, in Chicago. Right, exactly. And people don't realize because he has some – I mean, stats went down a little bit at times. I mean, it's going to go down when you have other guys stepping up, right? Because right. the thing is, they're sending two, three guys at Peppers. Right. They got to do that. They have no choice, right? This guy's too good. You better yep. bring you know, uh, a tight end. You got to bring over your, your uh, guard or tackle to stop him. So mm-hmm. you're trying mm-hmm. to prevent him from getting in there. And uh, with that, some teams were successful at doing it, and some teams were not. But he was the guy that really changed our uh, our scheme. And I think he helped us get some playoffs that year, too. 
Of um, course, yeah. I mean, we uh, we went to an NFC Championship game because of that guy, you know. So I would say this. He opened it up for other guys to make plays out there. I mean, look at Alex Brown. Right. Know, it, it opened up plays for him out there. So, man, that's a good one, man. That's a real good one. My uh, number three, and you're going to push back on me, but I still had to do it. I'm listening. I went with Brian O'Larker, man. Okay. Now, I will tell you this. I had him initially higher on my list. I'd have to drop him down a spot. But in this situation, I tried to separate the player from the man. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's a trash human, but he was a hell of a ball player. Absolutely. So for me, I mean, I had Erlacher jerseys when I was coming up, man. That was my guy. Like, I just, for me, A.W., you already know this, I'm a defense guy. You know, I played defense when I was, you know, playing ball in school. So defense is like everything to me. So when I saw a guy like Erlacher, when he came out of the draft, and he was kind of like this hybrid, like safety slash linebacker. And I was kind of like, man, this guy is kind of a he's kind of a freak. This kind of, it was kind yeah. of interesting. I didn't know what we had at the time, right? Because he kind of fell to the Bears. You know, he was like the ninth pick in the draft. But you didn't know what you really had. And and then I think you remember this too. He didn't even start initially. The Bears they had uh, at that time they had Barry Mentor, they had a uh, Warwick Holman, and I think uh, Rosie Colvin were the run linebackers. Right. So the Bears were pretty much solidified at that position, and Erlacher was basically on the bench. But what happened was uh, there was an injury with one of the linebackers. I think it might have been Mentor. And Erlacher came in there at that linebacker position, and he basically took uh, Barry Mentor's job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He heard that. He straight took that, man. He took that. And so the rest was kind of history there. But I would just say this. You know, when it comes to Erlacher, man, he was the perfect fit for Lovey's uh, Tampa 2 defense. Before Lovey, I mean, Erlacher was still solid under Dick Duran, uh, and he basically Bob Babbage's defenses. But, I mean, let's just look at this guy's uh, statistics. He was rookie of the year in 2000. Right. For the 2000s, he was the face of the franchise. Eight-time pro bowler. And he was a, a all-pro five times. He's a Hall of Famer. And he was also a member of the NFL's all-decade team for the 2000s. So the one thing I'll say to you, A-Dub, it was tough for me to keep him on my list based on what happened in the commentary and how disappointed I was. But in this situation, I had to separate the two, but I still think he's a trash human. You know what? <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny you say that because I had to go back and forth with that as well. And I had to take the emotion out of the situation too. And I don't know Erlacher's heart. I don't know. Right. It was hard for me to judge. And I'm not the kind of guy who judges people um, all the time, you know, I try my best to try. To, I try not to judge folks. Yeah. And with that, Erlacher did make a mistake. Right. But you know what? That's the reason why I had him at number two. <laughs> 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 he did make a mistake, man. And uh, I'm not going to hold it that much against him like that. I mean, I got to hold that. I got to hold him accountable for his words, right? I'm going to do that. That's right. But we have to. We have to. As far as his play on the field, I was thrilled with him. I mean, it's either you had either it was him or Ray Lewis. Who were the talks, right, about who's the best at their position, at the linebacker position? Him who did you, who did you think? Who did you have between those two back then? I gave a slight edge to Ray Lewis, the slight edge. Me, me <laughs> uh, too. Me too. Yep. But our guy wasn't far behind. So that's why I have to say about that around him. He wasn't far behind. And I'll tell you, Erlacher, ball head Erlacher, not Erlacher <laughs> with the hair. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it out there because Erlacher with the hair right now, something's changed. But Erlacher, <laughs> the ball hit Erlacher. That was the guy I really appreciated, man, because he did. He gave those guys havoc. And you know what? 
I know he gave Brett Favre a little kudos in his little message, but guess what? He gave Brett Favre hell. Yes, he did. So for that reason, I mean, they would go back and forth talking through the entire game, really, you know, Erlock and Brett Favre, because Brett Favre oh. knew that, hey, you better watch out for Erlock. He's coming for you. Oh, yeah, he used to talk shit to Brett. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so with that, I couldn't keep him off. You said all the things you need to say about his, you know, his career, all pros. He was very, very successful in those 2000. He usually said, you know, from 2000 all the way through 2011, actually. He was an all-star 2011, 2010, Pro Bowl 2010, 2011 as well. So just with him, he was our guy. He was the face of the franchise. He held down our defense. Everything was built around him, really, if you think about our defense. It was kind of built around him. We got other pieces that went a long way, like the Lance Briggs of the world, Peanut Tillman, all these other guys. But the defense built around him and what he's able to do with the middle linebacker spot. No, man, that's exactly it. And, and you know what? I like the fact, too, uh, A-Dub, that you were able to separate the, the player from the, uh, from the man. Because Charles Barkley said to us, right, you should not look at an athlete to be a role model. And I've been a firm believer of that. Um, however, I do think the athletes that have these platforms have a huge responsibility to step up and not destroy and damage, you know, movements. But at the same time, Erlacher was a hell of a player. Absolutely. And I'm not going to take that away from him, his whole career. He had a great career uh, with us. I can't take that away from him because, you know what, I'm not going to lie to you, I can't tell you how I felt about him seeing him play. And when I saw him play, you know, I was excited for him. Um, those fellas didn't, you know, at that time frame, he was doing those things. I got to be honest with myself about how I felt about them at that time frame. And um, I was very happy to see what he was able to do for us defensively. Exactly. So my number two spot is going to our boy Devin Hester. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Man, that man was ridiculous, bro. I mean, whenever I hear Soldier Boy, I think of Devin Hester. Okay. <laughs> when, when they used to crank up that Soldier Boy at Soldier Field, man, man, it wasn't nothing like that. Because you know, man, that crowd was getting into it. And Devin was about to make something happen if the team made the mistake of kicking on the ball, as you brought right. up uh, earlier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Make a mistake, he'll make you pay. Which, A-Dub, I still never understood why those teams kicked the ball to him. What, like, were they trying to prove points? Like, what, what was the thing with that? I'm not sure what they're trying to think about that. When they, um, when they were um, kicking it to him, I thought they felt their defense strong enough to stop him. I yeah. think they were thinking. But I'm thinking to myself, like, um, no, this guy's different. Yeah. He is different. The thing I want to also throw out there about him, I'm not sure he's going to talk about this, though. You got to remember when we drafted him. You know what position we drafted him as? Yeah, he was a corner. A corner, exactly. Think about that, right? He was drafted as a corner, and he turned into this great kickoff return and punt return. Mm-hmm. Yep. Slash wide receiver. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> but you know what? That's a story for another day because I hate it when they moved him to the offense. Me too. I mean, you took the most dynamic player – and you tried to force him to be something that he wasn't. You know, that, that, that was bad coaching with that decision. Right. And the one thing I think about as well when I think about that whole move is that I also look at the movement of the NFL at the time frame, right? They changed from when you kick the ball to the uh, you know, kickoff return. I think they moved the, the, the ball from the 30 to 35 or something like that. Yes. Um, where they moved the uh, ball to where you kick off at. And um, they changed the game from that standpoint because now you see more touchbacks than anything else. Yeah. Um, now, so with that, does Devin has to get the opportunities he got before? With them doing that, a lot of touchbacks you see because the ball is pretty much gone <laughs> over the pole, really over you know over the field goal pole. And yeah. um, how much chance is you going to really get to run? 
Well, that's a good point that you brought up because you got to think about that. Back in the day with returners, they were very rarely bringing the ball out of the end zone on those kickoffs, right? right. Now you got guys, their only chance to probably make a return play is to take it out. So, I mean, we saw that with the Bears with Cordell Patterson. He'd be five yards deep, and he's take, he's coming out with it. <laughs> right, right. Some guys want to, hey, you know what? I'm going to bring it out. And I think um, you th- you kick it to um, Hester. You're like, okay, you're in trouble. And matter mm-hmm. of fact, here's the one thing I'm going to throw out there about Hester really quickly. Uh, some people will kick the ball out of bounds versus right. kicking him. <laughs> yep. yep. And that was at the 40-yard line or something like that, right, where, hey, guess what? You didn't kick it to him? Oh, well, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. still take the yardage because, you know, yep. the referee looking at where that ball got out of bounds at. And you as a kicker, you're playing mind games with yourself and trying to play mind games with Hester, and you end up hurting yourself. That's true. So real quick on Hester, what I had is, honestly, one of the greatest playmakers in NFL history. When that dude had the ball in his hands, everybody wanted to see what he was going to do. I mean, I remember watching his teammates. They would probably just come off the field, and they would stand up because they wanted to see – what he would do. I mean, the, the energy that Devin Hester brought to Soldier Field or even an opposing team stadium. Devin Hester, man, I thought was just an exciting player. Bears fans, like you mentioned earlier, always going to remember that opening kickoff at the Super Bowl. Right. Miami. Man, I mean, point blank, D- Tony Dungeon, you should have stuck to your word. You should have not kicked the ball <laughs> to him. You made a mistake. You almost cost yourself the Super Bowl. I'm just saying. Pretty much. Pretty uh, much. The thing that I loved about Devin Hester, and this is something that we need in this Bears era now, is Devin Hester was able to flip the field. So when you look about in field position, and one touch, as you mentioned, either teams would kick the ball out of bounds to keep from giving him the ball, which gave us better field position. Right. If they make the mistake and kicked it to him, I mean, bro, you already know. It was either going to the house or he was going to get some sizable yards on that return. The thing Uh, I want to be back on what you said there is field position. People don't realize how valuable that is. If you right. start off at the 40-yard line, you know, uh, you know, or, or 30, whatever, 40-yard line, you know, on, your, uh, on the defense's 40-yard line, you're really, you know, uh, putting setting yourself up for either get a field goal or a touchdown because that field position does matter. No, it definitely does. The one thing, too, with, with Hester is the fact that he uh, returned 18 kicks, and that's a, a combination of punts and kickoffs for touchdowns. Seven of those 18 happened between 2010 and 2013. Just think about that for a, a second, audience. Seven return touchdowns in that three-season span. I mean, those are ridiculous numbers. Absolutely. Um, yeah. He retired as the NFL's all-time leader in kickoff return touchdowns. He was a four-time pro bowler, three-time all-pro. And honestly, he should be a future Hall of Famer. He should be. And I'm not sure what's wait, what they're waiting on. So I think we need to think about that with that guy. I'm not sure what the NFL is waiting on or thinking about, but he should be somewhere around that. He should be, to me, a Hall of Famer. Exactly. Well, hey, Dub, man, we're here at the number one spot. What you got, brother? What well, I have is my number one. Hopefully, maybe yours or not. We'll see. But I couldn't go nothing more with the legendary sweetness. Of Walter course. Tate. If, if you would have had anything other, man, I would have had to hang up this call. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man, uh, Walter Payton was everything I've seen in running back. And I think of guys like Adrian Peterson, who played for the Vikings and what he's able to do. These kind of guys, like, they'll run hard, look for the um, physical contact. Matter of fact, they're looking to hit you with the ball, right? They're coming hard at you. You're a tackler trying to tackle them. They're coming with their shoulders ready to hit you. And they're not shying away from contact. And I'll tell you right now, Walter Payton is one of those guys, man, that helped us, of course, win the Super Bowl, 
But his second season, man, he, he had a breakout year. 1,390 rushing yards, 13 TDs. Again, a pro bowler. I remember when he broke OJ's uh, record, rushing record at that time frame, when he rushed for 275 yards against the Vikings, you know, on November 20th, I think it was 1976. That next season, started the next season when he broke that record. But, yeah, he was um, awesome, man, after his uh, rookie year. And, um, I mean, this guy was – I mean, talking about durability, he didn't get hurt. He didn't get hurt. Played pretty much his entire career. He missed only, probably, only missed one game. Missed one game. And the reason he missed the game was a coaching decision. Yep. It wasn't his decision. Right. <laughs> you know, so sweetness, man, I cannot say enough about you. Nine-time Pro Bowler, seven-time first-team All-Pro, um, 1977 NFL Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, this guy probably got all, just about all the Bears records when he come down to rushing, for the most part. A lot of them, you know. Yep. And um, Hall of Fame, he was. And he played like it. And uh, I appreciate everything he's done for our organization. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be right there with you at number one. It, 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 there's, as I think if you, any real Bear fan out there, he has to be your number one. I mean, this guy is just the personification, again, of what – Chicago was all about. He was tough. He didn't run out of bounds. He welcomed contact. I mean, you would see some of those violent runs that he would have. He was basically looking to destroy defenders. I right. Mean, exactly. <laughs> and and he, would, he would bounce off of people. Like, that was how strong he was. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine, like, Walter Payton coming downhill and I got to make a tackle on him. I mean, dude. Right. And this, right. and, and right. this, and this NFL – a lot of guys would be making business decisions if they saw Walter Payton come in their direction. Let's just be honest. I'm totally with you there. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I want to talk about that when he broke that OJ record, though, one thing I didn't bring up that I want to make sure it was clear, he, he actually uh, had one of those games that Michael Jordan had. I mean, he had the flu, right, in a fever 101 degrees. <laughs> so to do all that, 275 yards that game, having the flu and fever, I mean, come on, man. That's a legendary game. Yeah, and it was it was the real flu. It wasn't the pizza pizza. Right, game. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> pizza, right, right. That's funny. Uh, so before we get out, man, I'm gonna I'm finish up my my little thoughts here on uh on, on Walter. So obviously, our podcast closing is dedicated to Walter when he broke the uh, the single uh, the the career rushing record. Man, greatest running back in the history of the league. A Dub, you hit all the main points on it. So the only thing I'm just gonna say this is this guy was a lifelong bear. His impact on the franchise will always transcend time. Tough as hell. And when you think of the Chicago Bears, you think of two things, great defenses and sweetness. Absolutely. That's, that, that's it right there. And rest before, in heaven, Walter Payton, a.k.a. Sweetness. That's right. Before we get out of here, man, I want us to switch on the opposite side of the spectrum and talk about our overrated Bear player. Um, so let's let's give the audience one, and let's get, get on out of here, man. Who'd you have? <laughs> I have uh, Muhammad, the wide receiver, Musim Muhammad. Moose. I'm sorry, Moose. I got to do it to you, man. I love you. I appreciate you, everything you've done in Chicago. But I got to throw it out there to you because when we got you, we expected more. And part of that, I mean, like I said, in 2004, you had that career year with Carolina. You had 1,405 receiving yards with 16 TDs, 93 receptions. Matter of fact. We've managed to get that less than that in three years with you. For example, when he got 12 TDs out of you and receiving TDs from you in that year, you know, and in those three years you played with us. We signed to a six-year deal at age 32, which was a mistake, but we did it anyhow. You had running back Thomas Jones with you as well, who was great. So 
I wanted to see you do more because we didn't have a pretty, pretty much solid running back at that time frame. I know Cal Orton was the quarterback at times. I know Rex Grossman was the quarterback at times, but we had <laughs> you. But we're expecting more from you because we thought you were that dynamic to be our number one guy, and it didn't pan out that way. Well, the one thing I was going to say, because that's a good point, and Moose, man, he, to me, he came in here with all the hype. He got the paper. And yep. he didn't. He did not. He did not make it happen for us. And I think he was a byproduct of Steve Smith being really awesome in Carolina. Right. That's why I think so too. Yeah, because when that year when Musa Muhammad put up those numbers, that's because Steve Smith was getting double teamed. And when Steve Smith was getting double teamed, he was still putting up numbers too. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You can stop Steve Smith, man. You couldn't stop him. You cannot stop him. No, man. I mean, we remember that game that the Bears had against the Panthers, and Steve Smith, he probably had 20 catches, like 300 yards receiving. I mean, that, that was a terrible, brutal game that he had against us. I mean, Steve Smith, was a, he was a monster. Yes, he, he was. was. a monster. My overrated player is Brian Cox. I went back on this one. This is my thing. So when he came to the Bears from the Miami Dolphins, and a lot of you right. players out here remember, Brian Cox was a good pass rusher when he was in Miami. And so when he came here to this defense, we thought that he was going to add and give us that missing piece that we needed at the time. So the Bears, they went out, gave him $13.2 million, which at that time he was the highest paid player in Bears history. And really, all that came from it was just a bunch of bullshit. Uh, he complained about the fans. He complained about the media, the coaches, and never took any responsibility to me for his poor play. I mean, I remember looking back on it in every, every game. He was always blaming somebody else uh he was always basically never taking accountability for the fact that he wasn't making plays out there uh, so just to me when it comes to brian cox i just feel like he never lived up to his contract you were spot on with him i thought brian cox would have been better than what he became i thought we got more tackles out of him more sacks and mm-hmm. um he could have been a, the, i mean to me he was partial to the face of our franchise at that time frame but he yeah. didn't hold up he didn't live up to the expectation and I oh. think I was disappointed seeing him. I thought he'd been pretty much just as good as Erlacher was for us, you know? And right. that didn't happen that way. And I, I'll tell you, uh, I could. I was so happy when we got him in that stupid neck pad roll thing that he wore on his back out of here. I hated that. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, man, this was a good episode. Episode three is in the books. A-Dub, go ahead and, man, get us out of here, brother. Thanks for listening to the Barry Essentials Podcast. We appreciate the early support. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. On next week's episode, we will preview the upcoming 2020 season. Bear Nation, come bear down with us. Peace.